Welcome to the podcast that may be called There's a Glitch in Everything. It's still under debate what the name will actually be, but that's the project name for now. And today we're going to talk about gaming in Cuba. And my name is Ole Landin, and with me today I have... Henrik Wilstedt. And uh, both you and me visited Cuba last year, right? Yes, correct. For this episode, I've made an interview with Jose and Ruben, who are working on the first indie game ever to be made in Cuba. And it was quite a challenge to get this interview to happen. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about why. So, Henrik, when we visited Cuba, uh, do you remember how easy it was to connect to the internet? Uh, yes, maybe easy is not the word I would uh, <laughs> use in this particular situation. Uh, so to uh, connect to Wi-Fi, you had to go to certain Wi-Fi parks. Uh, and as I remember it, we bought like a code or something like that. And then you could log in with this code and you could reach internet for like 30 or 60 minutes or something like that. And we didn't use it that much, to be honest, because it was too much of a hassle to get online. It was very slow as well. Yes, horrible internet. Yes. Yeah. So what ended up happening for you and me were that we usually left the phone at mm. the hotel and then we didn't use it basically. No, exactly. So it was uh, also kind of a smartphone detox, which was quite interesting also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was kind of nice. Yes. For To get this interview that we're going to listen to to happen, I first contacted Ruben through Messenger. And then it took the entire summer before he answered me. And that's usually not the case when you contact someone on Messenger. But I mean, uh, from the Cuban perspective, Messenger isn't that useful, really. No. Because it's instant messaging. And if you have to go to the, to a park... <laughs> that's you have the to opposite get, of yeah, instant. Yeah, it's the opposite, yeah. exactly. So eventually when he did answer, he, he told me that use email instead. Yeah. Makes sense. So I, I sent him some questions about gaming uh, in Cuba, like how, how it was to grow up as a gamer in Cuba and that kind of stuff. And then we also had a phone call some weeks later. Uh, and that's, and he was so nice. Like it was so interesting to talk to him. Uh, maybe a bit too nice because uh, when I had this call, I, I had my eye always on the call time because it cost like two dollars a minute uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so when he was talking about oh it's very interesting but still it's also yeah. very expensive and the, and the sound quality wasn't that good and also there's a lot of latency so i thought that maybe it's better if if i send over some questions by email then ruben and uh, jose who's working on cuba's first indie game they could uh Talk together mm-hmm. uh, among those About topics. The question. Yeah, yeah, ah, exactly. Nice. But then it, there was kind of this radio silence. I didn't hear from them, and I sent several emails like, "So how's it going? Do you have any interview now?" But nothing happened. So I was kind of uh, losing hope, uh, and weeks went past. But then one day, Ruben calls me on Messenger. Mm-hmm. Hello. Hello. Call. Hi. Hi, how are you? And uh, he has uh, Jose with him as well. Hi, I'm Jose. Nice to meet you. So apparently now he could call me through Messenger because by now it's possible to uh, use 3G and and transfer data from your phone in Cuba for the first time. Yeah, Yeah, it has been a really difficult month for me. To communicate too much, but now I have his cell phone, 
with a, a specific uh, frequency to connect to the Cuban uh, mobile data. Since number was the first uh, mobile data for people. So the thing is that it's uh, really limited and uh, it's a bit uh, low. And uh, as you can hear, the audio quality could be better. Uh, but still, I'm, I'm super happy because uh, now this finally happens. And it's also the first time I get to talk to Jose. But when, he, when I talk to him, he says something about maybe we should do it some other time when we get a better connection. That in Cuba, for, for the postcard, maybe it's better that we uh, took a day for go to a Wi-Fi park and the donation is easy and maybe we could see your face in the screen. And... Um, but I feel like I don't want to risk this. I, I don't want to delay it any further. I want to do this now. So I decided, let, let's do it anyway. So to recap, Jose and Ruben are making an indie game together and uh, in 2016 they made a crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo. And uh, back then Obama was the president in the US, so it was much easier for Cubans to travel back and forth to the US. And uh, the campaign was actually an instant success. As the result of this crowdfunding campaign, we get funded in just six days. This was like super good. Honestly, I never expected that in a million of time. And before we get into uh, Savior, which is the game they are developing, uh, I want to talk a little bit about how it was growing up in Cuba as a gamer. And Jose first had an Atari as his first console. And in the early 90s, just as here, uh, Nintendo was really big. But the big difference was availability. Because uh, you couldn't really buy a Nintendo in Cuba. You had to have some relative or something from abroad who, who, who could uh, bring it in. I tell you, a person at the time who had five games, for example, was like, woof, like something very rare. So it was a, a wealthy people or something like that. The more common is like you have only one game or two. In my case, I only have one game. So it was essentially difficult. At the time, there was all people that don't have console of their own, but they have a one or two cassettes and they or, or games, and they go to your house and you let him play, and then and maybe at the end of the day they borrow you the the game for one or two days. And and I think here you can see the difference, because so how did they actually get the games? I think uh, like you could trade with the each other and then as I said like uh, some relative uh, maybe brought it in when they uh, mm. traveled to Cuba. Amazing. Yeah. So that's how they first got in contact with video games. And... Yeah so in this case um, Jose said that uh, he had like one cassette but no uh, console. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean and, and I, th I think it's kind of uh, nice in a way that you have to have this kind of uh, social uh, connection mm. even to just play a, a game it's quite different from how it is now when you and, have everything in your pocket basically yeah and and with the uh, roms today you can download like every uh, super nintendo or nintendo game that was ever made and you have like thousands of game in a second <laughs> pretty much <laughs> yeah. and they had to work so hard just to get to play one single game at one time yeah, 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 exactly. Even if you own the game, you you have to wait for the opportunity to, yeah. <laughs> to, to try it out. 
And and I like like I remember playing Nintendo games together with friends, but in Cuba they really take it to the next level. At, at that time, as I tell you, I have a Super Nintendo that my grandmother buy me in a very difficult moment in Cuba in the special period. So that's what very rare. I think was in the in the night in the same ninety or in ninety one. That was very early from the gone out of the equipment, even in you in the U.S. So essentially, all the weekends, like 10 or 11 friends of mine, all go to the house and was like a, this very social scene of you play one time, you lose, you get the control to your other friends, and that way. At that time, of course, the game more popular for the time who takes and wherever was games like a Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat that, you know, was one fight and you get the control and everybody could play. When you want to, at that time, when you want to play games like RPGs, like Final Fantasy, or something like that, the people who have the auditory for you were, was kind of upset because they kind of, they kind of play if you're playing that kind of long game, you know? Yeah, so, so I mean, uh, like 10 or 12 people uh, around the same uh, Super Nintendo. It sounds quite uh, cozy, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I kind of uh, envy them in a way. <laughs> mm. Actually, so he mentioned uh, periodo especial, and uh, both you and me are a bit familiar with this, uh, but maybe not the listeners. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the periodo especial, the special period, is uh, a very tough period for the Cuban people. Uh, the, the with the fall of the Soviet Union, Cuba didn't get any money anymore from Soviet. And, uh, so before that, they got funding from Soviet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, for the Cuban people, this meant uh, starvation and uh, a lack of resources, almost empty stores, that that type of thing. I mean, it's a classic for totalitarian states to have these kind of euphemisms for horrible, horrible things, really. I mean, the special period sounds kind of nice. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it's not very nice at all. But... I also remember reading about people stealing cows from the farms. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, because of this, it was such a disaster that people were stealing the cows because they also wanted to use the cows for milk. But people stole them and ate them. So they uh, made a penalty of uh, stealing a cow. And I think, as if I remember it correctly, I think it was the death penalty. And... <laughs> As far as I know, they still haven't removed that law. So now if you steal a cow, it's uh, it will be sentenced to death in Cuba. Yeah, so if you ever visit Cuba... St- <laughs> don't steal a cow. <laughs> don't steal a cow. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't steal a cow. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I kind of I kind of like the thought of people huddling up together to play Street Fighter during this really tough period. Definitely. But playing on a console was actually quite rare during this period. Uh, PC was much more common. Almost everybody in Cuba today has a computer, maybe not the better one, but a computer. And it's easier and more natural to play games, you know? Uh, when you have a console, it's something that you buy specifically for games. And, of course, uh, under our condition, it's not too common that many people may made this investment in something like that. I didn't really hear, did he say a modern one or the first thing? Yeah, they they don't usually have the most modern ones, but they have a PC at least. Yeah. And there is another perk with computer games, which becomes evident when I ask Ruben how they get hold of the PC games. Pirated, of course. 
This is a third uh, world island in the middle of the Caribbean. Everything comes with pirates. Haven't you seen the movies? <laughs> pirates? <laughs> yeah, piracy. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, 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 and I mean, piracy is also very different from how you do it here in Sweden mm. uh, and, and uh, the entire West. Because since they don't have the internet you can't really use those channels. No, I remember they trading movies on USB memories. Exactly. And we're going to hear about that now, because there is a thing called El Paquete Semanal. Oh, Paquete Semanal. Paquete Semanal is something like weekly package. So, so as you said, Henrik, uh, you get hold of new games, applications, and TV shows from this package. It's an external hard drive with the week's latest downloads. Basically a combined Steam and Netflix on uh, USB stick. And who is responsible? Who do who does this? It's it's not very clear. <laughs> it seems like uh, the state is kind of okay with it, but they're not actually the ones who does it. So it's kind of it it's not really known. And it's cheap as well. Yeah, so one one cook one cook this days the money we have in Cuba for one terabyte of information. So it's almost free. How much? Yeah, so one coop is equivalent to one dollar. So one terabyte of data for one dollar. Oh, wow. So they trade it in terabytes of information. <laughs> That's crazy. So do That's you know crazy, exactly yeah. what you get? Or is it just like a random pick of... I think, uh, I mean, I haven't tried this myself, but I think there is someone called the messenger who comes to your home. And then you get to pick like, oh, what do you want? And then they transfer it. Oh, my God. Uh, there are people that they call it messengers and they go to your house and, and give you the, the information to you. This is a way for the Cubans to keep up with like international culture. But even if computers and PC games are more common, both Jose and Ruben actually prefers console, which is really rare on Cuba. Yeah, because uh, essentially I've seen that the best games are, are exclusive, you know, like like Bloodborne or Dark Souls or Uncharted series, and sometimes some of these games you could not have a version in PC. And I and essentially it's, it's different, you know, the relationship between is they sit in front of a computer that a console that you could light in your bed. It's something more relaxing to me. So yeah, I actually agree a little bit. I think uh, like nowadays when. The, they are so up to speed with piracy and I don't want to go through the hassle of trying to download games to the computer anymore. And if you play console, you can also catch up to play the latest games. But do you know, can they get like Red Dead Redemption 2 at the same time as us? Do you know that? It's much more complicated still. And mm. uh, since they don't have internet that accessible... I mean, they can't download it. So no, they and they don't sell it anywhere. Or... Not, not. Uh, I think it's it's really hard. But yeah. I mean, I guess they have their ways. And and if you have one uh, relative that lives in the US, maybe I guess they can send packages. Yeah. So yeah. it works, but you have to be like interested, really. Yeah. But uh, they also have like a different relationship to to multiplayer games because during the interview, I asked several questions about online gaming. And uh, they were like, well, gaming and the internet is two completely separate things because we don't have the internet. No, no. The internet, uh, almost the other day, we have internet for real Cuba. So it's not, it's not 
No, it's not related at all with the experience of games and things like that. So basically, internet becomes like an obvious uh, obstacle. Uh, the lack of internet becomes a real problem because so many games are multiplayer these days. Yeah, exactly. But they they can play some multiplayer games over local area network because they there is like a uh, Ruben told me about that there was they have a really huge local area network all over Havana. But well, right now many people have net, uh, local networks. Well, the other day someone told me that the local network is like. Since Alamar to the other side of Havana, it almost takes all Havana for repeaters and a lot of uh, technology they are using to make all this a big local network. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, and, and they, they have something like kind of like internet. You can share files and chat and that kind of stuff. And, and the police has uh, taken this down several mm-hmm. times, but uh, Ruben says that it's more stable now they, mm-hmm. they don't really seem to care anymore but do you remember when we visited cuba we thought that we have found an open wi-fi spot at a restaurant but it wasn't really the internet no. there was only yeah 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 yeah, yeah. I there remember was now. one page yeah it was like uh it was a local internet <laughs> something like that very local very only local. only for the restaurant <laughs> <laughs> with only one home page that is true and do you think that's common? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess uh, I guess it's getting less and less common. But I mean, many people still have phones, and then oh, I, I guess I can go into this restaurant's homepage yeah. when I'm at the <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> it's the strangest thing to read the menu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But with this uh, whole uh, multiplayer online gaming thing, I asked if uh, World of Warcraft ever was a thing in Cuba. I haven't played, I played once, I think, but there was no server, so I was alone. This was, I think, in a friend of me and Josue's house that he installed it with a fake server, and I was like, like alone, and I said, my God, this is so lonely. <laughs> it was really sad. I think my, my girlfriend actually played more World of Warcraft than me. She used to play it a lot, and alone <laughs> as well. <laughs> Just for the face of it, I don't know. She told me these stories, and it's like, what the hell are you? Why? Why did you play that? She's not that much of a player, but she used to play these things, and and she's like a really Lord of the Ring fan. And it was like, okay, Warcraft is so nice, but why to play it at all? I love that. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so good, playing World of Warcraft alone. It's beautiful. Yes. <laughs> But I think it's it's kind of understandable that Ruben actually prefers the old school multiplayer games. Yeah, I prefer the, the old school with your friends, a few beers, and and playing and having a chat. What was what was that? He prefers to like a console uh, multiplayer game. You have some friends over, some beers, that oh, kind yeah. of setting instead yeah. of being alone in World of Warcraft. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. But I think now we have some kind of background uh, uh, about how it is to be growing up as a gamer in Cuba. But how about being a game developer? And Ruben, he's really skeptical about what games that has been made before in Cuba. Making video games in Cuba has been uh, delegated to six months in developing in some of the companies that, uh, that the government has. Like they made a 
you know this. Oh, we need to make this app for this phone with a few car cartoon characters. We put them in there. They collect some candies. They uh, defeat the bad guy, and that's it. They program in a few months, and it's released two months later. It's like that. They call it industry, and it's like super small industry. And I don't think it has even revenue because there's no way they can monetize that. <laughs> there's no way they can earn money from that because I don't know how it works, but with so, so many good free apps out there, the premium, how they call how you can compete if you don't have infrastructure because those games are pure infrastructure and we don't have it here for almost anything. So there are already gaming companies in Cuba? Yeah, it's uh, basically the state mm -hmm. who has made some games and, and I mean, no, so no indie games. No. But there are some, uh, and I mean, I haven't seen them so no. I don't think they are very famous. <laughs> <laughs> and no one is buying them, obviously. No. And, and I mean, Rob, Ruben isn't that impressed. Mm. <laughs> I, I understand that for the listeners, it's hard to keep track of who's Ruben who and, and who's uh, Jose. Uh, but Jose was the one who started the crowdfunding campaign from the beginning. And uh, he is also working full time uh, with the project. Uh, Ruben is helping out uh, now and then. And Jose has much bigger ambitions for the game Savior that he is developing than the state seems to have had on the, on the games they have done previously. I always want to make a video game. I always. I, uh, at some point, I discovered that, you know, the, the difference between the way you make a work of art and an, and an artist as, as a professional is not too different at the way you create and structure a video game. But at the times when I start to have this dream, in Cuba, we don't have the technology uh, to make a game that could be competitive in terms of quality and, and in general with other products that other people have made around the world. Uh, right now, with Unity, with some more access to, to the cyber world, Internet in, the, in his earliest stage, it's easier for us to, you know, to, to think or to dream in the possibility or the idea of create a game here in Cuba that could match, you know, the, the quality of similar game uh, in the world. It's quite amazing. So how he mentioned Unity, how, for instance, how does he even download it without internet? Just to get the software to make games is complicated. I'm not sure how, but I mean, in theory, you could go to Wi-Fi Park and mm. download it and then go back home that's one solution at least it's very impressive to to be able to pull this off actually without because when you're developing games you need internet all the time to google certain things or you know just to check something up on stack overflow so it's very impressive to be able to do it without that uh, it comes back to this issue with the internet all the time and and because of that i haven't really managed to try out the game i've only seen some uh, footage from it uh, but it is uh, called Savior, and it's a side-scrolling platformer uh, with uh, some kind of game uh, play mechanic where you manipulate the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is some kind of... Uh, the story has some kind of theme around what is reality. Mm -hmm. My game is based in a narrative experience that mix a classic platform with 
cinematic platform and with a very original um, mechanic control of the game. And that mechanic dictates, you know, the, the length and the rhythm of the whole game. I feel very happy with the result we have it right now. And honestly, I think I think that I honestly I think the game will be good. So Jose said uh, the game is inspired by Earthworm Jim. Do you know about that game? No, never heard about. It's it's like a cartoony game from the '90s uh, with a very like a Looney Tunes kind of style almost mm-hmm. about a worm in a spacesuit. Mm-hmm. And even when you see Savior, sometimes you could not see a direct uh, influence in that game. I could tell you that by far that's the game I have more in mind in all the time of the process of Create Savior. And I was kind of surprised to hear that uh, Earthworm Jim was uh, his uh, biggest inspiration. Uh, but Savior has a very unique graphical style. Uh, I, I can show you the trailer here actually. Mm-hmm. So now that I've seen this, I must say it's really, really beautiful. It's much better looking than I could ever imagine, actually. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's, it's pretty beautiful. So I wonder, like, what kind of techniques are they using to, to get this uh, graphical style? Uh, full anim- handmade uh, full animation. That's, that that means 24 frames for, for any animation in the game. And imagine that some character, some character have, like, 20 different cycles of animation. I mean, like running, jumping, looking, looking up, uh, thing like that. Every every little cycle of that half, I don't know, 20 drawings, 22 drawings, all handmade. And, all, and also the line and the color is handmade. So you mind how much time it takes to, to, to do that. And it's also expensive, by the way. Oh, it's not a 3D game, and when you and where you have a model and you animate that model, no, every frame is unique from the other. It must take a lot of time. They're basically doing like uh, old school uh, handmade Disney animations, but I mean they are also clever because uh, they have the background within this kind of field, so that's what they know how to do really well, uh, and that's uh, an advantage. But it also takes a lot of effort. The, the process of making a video game is long and it's hard. In everywhere in the world, but in Cuba, it's like the double of hard. Because first, uh, you don't, we don't have the knowledge. And second, we don't have another person to ask for advice. It's what like, uh, like create a, a game from scratch. In terms that we have to deal with all the difficulties possible to learn from that. And go and go further. So it must be very complicated for them to learn about best practices and those things when they can't Google things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. Uh, of course, they can uh, Google, but they don't have this kind of uh, instant uh, way. I mean, every everything is of course slower. I mean, so the the conditions are not ideal, and uh, they have had uh, a lot of issues along the way. No, yes, man. Sadly, I could say I have all the issues possible you could have. I make a game bigger than the game I could do. I have constantly lack of funds and resources. I have no access to to press, to festivals, to other developers in the world that help that help you to come out in your own game. So yes, essentially, 
I, I have to deal with all the difficulties you, you go have to And right now, with Trump in power, imagine all things are even worse. Uh, before I could go to U.S., relatively easy in easy way right now is like super difficult because all them all the my publishers and things like that are based in US so in my in my, in my position when you have to when you need to have like, like some sort of legal structure to sign with a publisher I mean like bank accounts like a company and things like that if if, if right now I'm as, as a Cuban it's something like completely difficult almost impossible achieved in the U.S. That's the the problem for I what I have to start to think that maybe it's better to sign with the European publisher that maybe could make things easier to us to us in terms of release and to have access to the funds of the game. It's kind of sad that Trump makes life harder for them. As both you and me know, it's only like 150 kilometers between Florida and Cuba. Mm. So it's it's really strange that you're not that is such a hassle to just go in between. Yeah, and that's the worst thing with like that kind of politics that it affects people that you cannot really think about when you implement the laws. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, they have nothing to do with with that kind of issue really. Since Jose got a successful crowdfunding, he really wants to make the best out of this opportunity. I feel maybe that was a mistake at the time, that as a Cuban, I was obliterated to make a game the double of, of best, the double of original that any other game out there, because I feel that this is like my only opportunity to get outside with a, with a game, you know? Because for all the resource that they make, that they, that they make it, all the money you need, etc. But at the same time, if, when you try to do something that su- surpass your real possibilities, you're in a trouble because again, you don't have the resource and you don't have the time. So it's like a very blurry line between try to do what you want and try to do what you could do. <laughs> I don't know if you understand. So they wanted to do too much in the beginning of the development. Jose will elaborate a little bit. It's a process in, 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 where, in where you have to exclude all the things you don't really need. Stay with a core that is, let's say, the, like the heart of your game. And from that point, you start to circle out in a way that your game grow, but never go too far from the core of what your game really is. When you say it, it's not like something easy to do, but it's more easy to get lost in many ideas or in things like that. And, and I tell you that for experience. And constantly, even now that we are, we have almost ready uh, a second demo of the game with all the problem results from the past, still you find little mistakes or things that you could improve. Because different to art in where you could do something, and even if nobody like, you could say, like, well, I don't care, I like that way, in a video game is completely different because from the start you have to think in the people who will play the game and not in yourself. And that little twist in things it is not little at all. It's very interesting that even though they are so far away, uh, they have the same problems as us, basically. That it's easy to dream big and to keep the scope too big. Uh, and 
I totally recognize that as well, that you want to do everything, but you have to just keep it a little bit less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think also when you, as he says, when you you get this opportunity, you it's it's an easy uh, trap to fall into. And yeah. I've, I've been there. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's the, that's, that's the thing also with uh, gaming and everything. At the core, everything is like, it's the same dreams, the same problems, the same thoughts. It's just some minor differences in how you go about doing things because of the, like the kind of uh, circumstances that mm. are around you. But I hope the game will be finished soon so I can try it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyone can see the trailer on saviorthegame.com. S-I-V-I-O-R-T-H-E-G-A-M-E.com. Saviorthegame.com. Exactly. Perfect. And uh, that is it for, for this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks a lot, Henrik. Thank you for having me. Super interesting to listen to these guys, actually. Very yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. And uh, if uh, any one of the listeners have any questions, uh, you can uh, contact us on... Uh, there's a glitch in everything at gmail.com. Yeah, that's it. So uh, see you next time. Bye bye.